Redemption's Table. I'm Robert Barge, your host. That song we just heard is Ross King's The Things That I'm Afraid Of, one of my favorite songs that he has written. I encourage you to check out all of Ross King's music wherever you happen to listen to music and stick around to the end of the podcast when we will hear the finish of that song. And the finish has one of the coolest punchlines of any song I know. Ross King's The Things That I'm Afraid Of. It's also great to have back today, Steph Cherry. She is our co-host today, and Steph knows today's guest. So, Steph, take it away. Thanks, Robert. So, if you were to picture Andrew Lowen and his family, you know those little um, the little cartoons or whatever where all the little ducks are going across the road? Like, that's how I feel every Sunday. Just this little stream of tiny ducks are walking by me. Because Andrew has six children, 10 and under. If if you believe in God, there you go. Andrew, he's a perfectly normal looking person. And he has six kids, 10 and under. And he's doing great. He's a great dad. Um, He is a marketer. I know he does jujitsu. But what we brought him here today was to talk about his love of Jesus, of course, and and how he developed this board game um, called Deliverance. I don't... I, it was it the largest crowdfunded. Tell me, well, anyway. So it's the it's the largest. It's the um, most successful Christian crowdfunded game, um, in in history, which I think is not that high of a bar. Um, the chosen is the most crowdfunded Christian media project, and Deliverance is the most crowdfunded Christian board game. That's cool That's to be in the same category. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and I, you just got like the proto right to your house yes in fact if you were watching the video you could see it it's right there so yeah yeah for sure we will do that so well, since we're talking to, about board games today I, I thought we would play board game trivia and right. this is some new trivia that i just learned myself uh and i'm going to ask the questions i have the answers and just see which of you two come closest to guessing the correct answer <laughs> all right here's the first question three questions number one how many board games are currently listed on the comprehensive database of board game geek website oh my goodness i'm gonna guess um sixty thousand. okay i'm gonna go like price is right one you better not do that <laughs> did you say one <laughs> It's the the I correct have no answer. Idea. It, it's over one hundred and forty thousand. Wow! Yeah, isn't it mind blowing? Uh, yeah, and I'm sure they don't have all of them. But uh, okay, here's the second question: Some board games still being played today were being played how long ago? What date in Ooh. history? Uh, first thing I think of is Monopoly. 
mm-hmm. uh, which would be like 1920. But you have games like Go, which are, I think they reach into BC. Go like started in China in in like a hundred BC or 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 earlier. That's Am I crazy? crazy. What's That's the answer, crazy. Robert? Well, I was going to see if Steph has it. I guess I'm forfeiting. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know any of these questions. Well, I didn't know till this morning. I just got curious. Uh, Three thousand BC. Oh wow! I was I was a little bit. Uh, I guess I was closest. Yeah, you were closest, yeah. definitely. Yes. There's one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you win. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they got dice. They cut dice out of bone. Uh, you know, they made dice, uh, or bone dice or whatever. Yeah, that's that's just fascinating. I mean, we we've we love the diversion of games. Um, in 2020, third and last question. In 2020, the popularity of board games grew by what percent? Oh man, because of the whole pandemic, mm-hmm. I know board game sales jumped like 600 percent on Amazon. Whoa. It was like a crazy number. So I'm going with 600 percent. 600 percent. Okay, Steph. One. <laughs> yeah, the safe one there. Uh, twenty percent. They oh, okay. increased in wow. popularity by twenty percent. But yeah, wow. you're right. Well, that's pretty good. As in wow. industry wide, that's a that's a major major number. Um, but yeah, I'm just I just remember every pan, you know every game of pandemic, which is a game. It's a cooperative game where you try to cure these four diseases that are ravaging the earth. It's actually a very popular game. And uh, they must have known something because that game sold out everywhere. Everyone wanted to play the COVID-19 pandemic game. You know, wow. it wasn't originally designed for that, but boy, was it popular. Well, it's really cool to think that something bad, tragic, brought people together around the table to play board games. Mm-hmm. Because in addition to eating, what else do you do around the table? You know, play games, work puzzles, those type of things. So That's actually a good point. In fact, I look at um you know you you look at the evangelism that the disciples did in you know in the first century and that was how the the gospel was preached and passed it was from kitchen table to kitchen table over a meal and i personally feel like there's nothing more intimate than having a meal together and as as intimate as a meal is a board game is the same way Mm-hmm. And it it is one of those things that can unite people of very different, um, you know, theologies, people that are atheists and people that are Christians can always agree on board games. Um, very, very fun. Yeah. So what are some of y'all's favorite board games? You go first, Steph. I have two. Uh, <laughs> so ironically, I don't play a lot of board games. I like Scrabble. Okay. I like, uh, what do I like? And uh, bananagrams. Like I'm a nerdy. I'm not like, I don't know. See, I need to, I need to educate you and, uh, and Denby so you can bring some really good games into your house. I, I yeah. am a huge fan of cooperative board games, games that you play and win together as a team or, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, sometimes the game wins, but I, I find that games like, um, uh, you know, the classics like Monopoly or Risk or, um, Scrabble or you you name it, chess, all of those games are you against someone else. And my favorite thing is to play games with my wife. And when I'm slaying her, you know, because she landed on my hotel space and now we're not friends for a while, or I backstab her in risk, that type of thing. It doesn't really 
do much to bring a marriage closer together. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I have found cooperative games to be a really, really fun thing. Um, the, the types of things that you can do in board games nowadays are incredible. Um, for example, one of my favorite games is uh, Chronicles of Crime. I call it marriage counseling. It's uh, mar the marriage counseling, the game, uh, because you, you play this romanticized version of being a detective. So you're a reporter and, you know, working for working for a reporting, uh, whatever, a newspaper in either the 1400s or maybe 2400. And it's like a cyberpunk future or what or like Dick Tracy noir style in the 60s. And you have to figure out a, a great story. And the, the, the story is like the, the wealthy, you know, robber baron that has the big factory. His son was just uh, is missing and you need to go figure out what's going on and and get the scoop before anybody else. And what happens is um, you actually use your phone to scan QR codes on character cards. So you start talking to a character by scanning that code and they will, you know, give you sometimes give you evidence. You'll have to look at crime scenes, which you'll have to stand up using your cell phone. You have to stand up and look around like in a 360 degree view. And you'll, you'll say like, oh my goodness, I found a, a bloody knife on the ground. And then somebody else is rifling through the cards uh, to pick up the, the knife or the, you know, the other evidence card. And you end up solving a crime and you have to, you have to, number one, you have to share. So you have to share the cell phone. So after I look at the crime scene, my wife will look at the crime scene. And then we have to kind of collaborate and hear one another. You know, you, you listen to what your spouse is, has to say, uh, you know, I think we need to go to that location because the person at the train station lied to us. We need to go back, show them this piece of evidence and, and tell them we know your secret and uh, so on and so forth. You listen to one another and then eventually you put the, all the puzzle pieces together and it's just a lot of fun. Um, and you feel like you spent time together. You got to know each other a little bit more and, and just got to be playmates. I love so. that. I was trying to explain it to Robert, how you work together to play the game. I think that's why I don't like games mm -hmm. because I am like, I'm an exhorter. I came uh -huh. here to cheer you on. I don't want to play against you. So yeah. I was explaining I was like, doesn't this just sound so much better? <laughs> yeah, it does. Definitely. Uh, cooperative games. I mean, I like <clears throat> I like the competition of games. Like my mm -hmm. favorite games right now are Parks, which is based mm -hmm. on the national parks, and Trails. One. Both those games, probably when I get together with my family, those are the ones I enjoy playing. The one that has kind of stuck with my kids when they were growing up, and now I'm handing it off to my grandkids, is a game, a cooperative game called Roundup. Oh. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but you essentially have five uh, wild horses trapped in a canyon and you have uh, rocks or binoculars or ropes to help you rescue the horses and get them into the corral. And it's you take turns and it's a great game to play, especially if you have six children under the age of 10. Uh, yeah. Might be a perfect game to play. Well, let's segue from Roundup to uh, the uh, the Hyperdrive Clue game. I don't know what the name of that game is, the murder mystery, to talking about your game, man, because you have yeah. developed a game. The name of the game is Deliverance. Tell us about it. So Deliverance is a Christian fantasy tactical adventure board game. You play. It's, it's also cooperative, so you're playing with uh, up to four people. You can actually even play by yourself if you want against the game. But the, the, the intent is that you're playing with a team against the game. So you control these elite 
angelic warriors from the army of heaven. And, you know, Michael, the archangel, Gabriel, the messenger of God, Azrael, the angel of death, and, and, and many others. And you have come to this town called Fallbrook, which is, which is on modern day earth in Southern California. The town is filled with demonic activity and it's not a power center. There's no one of great influence in that town. And yet there's this great demonic activity going on anyway. So it's your team's mission to infiltrate and figure out what's going on and put a stop to it. So in the uh, in that pursuit, you suspect that you may encounter fallen princes, which are the mighty demonic leaders, really the mighty fallen angels behind the forces of darkness that lead them from the shadows. And it's your standing orders ever since the victory on the cross to slay those demons and send them to the abyss to await their final judgment. So it's it really Woo! features the spirit realm. And I would say the human realm is kind of the supporting cast. Uh, you do have to act as a guardian angel. It's your standing order to protect saints, to keep them in all their ways. And so there are saints that are on the board. They can't see you or hear you, but they're drawn to your presence. And you have to protect them. Uh, something strange is happening in this town, though. It seems as though the darkness and the evils from the human realm are bleeding into the spiritual realm and manifesting. So you actually have to kind of fight these demons in tactical combat while at the same time trying to stem the tide of darkness that's that's kind of pouring into the spirit realm from the human realm. Uh, you know, the the fallen nature of the of the of the world, the evil things that people do to each other, the the tragic things that happen to uh, to people. And, and that sort of thing are the kind of things that you're going to have to deal with. So it's a tactical game that, you know, where you just, you need to beat all the demons to win. And if all of the angels die, then you lose. Okay. More like this. If all the angels are defeated, then you lose because angels are eternal spirits. They can't really die. So this source comes right out of scripture. The key verse that comes to my mind is Ephesians 6. And the key verse of that chapter is verse 12, where it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, spiritual warfare. Yes, absolutely. And, um, the, the, you know, the, as it, it is a Christian game, an unapologetically Christian game. But I also will be the first one to say it's fantasy. Mm -hmm. So there are, so I've, I've done everything I can to stay true to the theology while at the same time, you know, taking creative license where the Bible is silent or where things are unclear. And, you know, that's the fantasy. Another element we do nothing in the game, not even a word is done because I thought it was cool. Everything has been kind of filtered through that lens of like, is this theologically sound? And if it's not, why is it not theologically sound? I need to have a reason. And one of those things, uh, as an example of something that is not theologically sound or is not biblical, is that there are no, you know, I, in essence, my angels, the art pieces are good looking people with two wings. And that is not biblical. You have, <laughs> um, you have either angels that are described as men. You have, you know, if you wanted to argue for female angels, you could say, there are, you know, Zechariah 512, which is women with wings of a stork. And, you know, it's a, I, I think it's a pretty thin argument, but we have female angels in our game. And 
you never see you an angel with two wings is never described in the scripture. You've either got these monstrous angels with four wings or six wings, angels with eyeballs everywhere, and angels that as soon as people see them, they fall over as though dead and or worship them. And so I did not want biblical angels because then I, I don't want people falling down worshiping my art pieces, being terrified. <laughs> I don't want you to feel like you opened up the box of Jumanji and started playing that. Right. Those <laughs> you know are I mean? harder to market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we decided that because heaven is re- or heaven in, in heaven, you have every tribe, nation, language, and, and kindred, then let's let the angels represent people. And so the angels each kind of have their own, we'll say they all, they each represent their own culture and they're meant for, for people to see themselves in those characters. And really, if there is a message the game does not preach. It's assuming that you're already a Christian and that you understand. Or if you're not a Christian, it's not going to preach at you. Uh, it's just going to tell an awesome story in this in this universe, if you will. But um, the idea is that I I want you to see yourself as as that character, and you are the one fighting spiritual warfare. So the game, if if it does have a message, it really is to teach Christians that the spiritual war is real and that this is how you fight. You know, female angels are not a stretch because I've not met a guy yet who does not think he hasn't already met one. That makes sense. (laughs) My wife is an angel. There you go. There you go. Um, So when did you have the concept for the game? I was about six and a half years ago, um, maybe just a little more than that, uh, summer of 2016. I I was on a run and I was thinking about this story in Daniel. It's Daniel, I believe it's chapter eight or nine, talks about Gabriel coming down and uh, having a message from the moment that Daniel began his fast. Gabriel was sent, but it was three weeks from the time that Gabriel was sent to the time that Gabriel was able to deliver this message. And Gabriel gives this rationale of the prince of Persia withstood me for 21 days. And I thought, okay, first of all, what does that mean? Gabriel, the guy that's like, hey, Mary, you're going to have baby Jesus. That guy was told no. The the chief postal worker in heaven that delivers messages direct from God was, was resisted for three weeks of time. I figure, you know, if you have the golden ticket, that's like God sent me to deliver this message, that's going to happen regardless of what the Prince of Persia has to say about it. And yet he was still able to delay Gabriel for three weeks. I know that all things are within God's will, but how in the world did that Prince of Persia withstand Gabriel? And then beyond that, Gabriel would never have delivered this message in all likelihood if Michael the Archangel did not come and help him. And then what it says also is that Gabriel says, after I deliver this message to you, I need to go back and help Michael with the Prince of Persia because evidently Michael could not defeat the Prince of Persia on his own. And then after that, the Prince of Greece is going to come and he's evidently a whole lot of trouble. So who is this Prince of Persia? Why could he withstand Michael the Archangel and Gabriel? And how did they do that? Did they have an argument? And also, you know, you look at other places in scripture, Satan disputing with Michael over the body of Moses, for example, like how did that happen? And I just, my mind just started racing and I thought, you know, there is a book that that was written, well, two books, uh, Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness that yeah. a lot of people like in Deliverance. Deliverance really feels like you're you're playing that book 
But, you know, a lot of people wonder like, what, what, how do angels lose this encounter? You know, in the, in the, in the end of revelation talks about there was a war in heaven and the dragon and his angels fought against Michael and his angels and they lost, but how would they fight? You know, do they break out swords? Do they, what do they do? You know, and so I, I've answered that question in this fantasy way. It's probably not yeah. as cool as what happens in real life yeah. or in the scripture. Yeah. Well, Andrew, that... I gotta tell you, I'm sorry. I gotta tell you, like, you're great at this. Like, you've answered all of Robert's and my questions we wrote down <laughs> all by yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're excellent at podcasting yeah. yourself. Oh, there man. You well, yeah. I told you I never have a shortage of things to say. Time no, to get a solo great. career started there. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I had already, I was going to ask you what what resources or sources did you draw from? And yeah. I was thinking of Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness Piercing the Darkness. Yeah. Because when I read the book, I thought, oh, wow, that book was so vivid in its description of spiritual warfare, very eye-opening. And I also believe very accurate. They drew their strength from the prayers of the saints. Right. And there is a, um, you know, a couple of, couple of points on that. I, my inspiration was absolutely the Bible. I, I was like, if, if I can find something, you know, let's say an external source, like Michael Heisner, for example, uh, who loves talking about the spiritual war, who just passed away. Right. Uh, I think he's probably happier today than he was a couple weeks ago because he's in heaven and all that. So I was, I was thinking, okay, I hear all sorts of theories and whatnot, but what does the Bible, what can I absolutely say? I don't want my players to have to make like a long theological extrapolation of all of these scripture verses to get this one little conclusion. Like what is the Bible absolutely sure about? And that's what I wanted to make sure that the game was consistent with. And uh, you know, if, if you will, the, the rules of my universe were created based upon what is what does the Bible say? So angels have to always be good. Fallen angels have to always be bad. And Satan is, has, is the worst of all of them, right? The, and so, you know, as part of the story, we actually have a campaign where you can experience a 14 mission game where, you know, that unfolds a really cool story and, and whatnot. And, you know, you need twists and turns and, and interesting things to happen. But how can, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I feel as tropish and as cheesy as it could possibly be if the angel that was with you the whole time, oh, he turns bad, you know, tricked you. You didn't expect that, did you? And I, which I feel is just ultimate cheese and not biblically sound, right? So we, we had to be consistent with the Bible there. So those were, that was kind of my playbook. I had, to, I was limited my sandbox, if you will. You know, I was limited to playing in, in the sandbox of what, what was correct in, in, you know, biblically, but, um, but yeah, you know, this present darkness was very inspiring by Frank Peretti, but one thing it did not answer was, you know, if you, if you, if you think back to all of the battles that Frank Peretti uh, wrote about, you know, Tal or, or all of those great angels, they always managed to block the sword strike or duck just in time or dodge out of the way. And you never, Frank Peretti never answered the question, what if they didn't dodge in time? What if that sword, you know, I know I'm being a little graphic here, but what if that sword bit into the neck of, of Tal? Like what would happen? And so I, I answered that question in, I had to answer that question. If you could lose in deliverance, you had to be able to lose somehow. And, and what, 
like what what happens you know and uh what happens when your your health goes to zero theologically is a tough question that i had to answer you know otherwise i would just say oh you can't lose you're all reduced to zero you have unlimited health you're fine you know so what but what actually happens so cooperate the cooperative game everybody either loses or everybody wins is that correct Yes. So you win the game. In essence, you win the game by defeating all the demons on the board. And you you only lose if all of the angels are defeated at the same time. So you can have one angel left on the board, but the other angels, they, they're eternal spirits. They get to use prey actions and play prayer cards. They can even revive themselves with... Uh, so in the game, you have an action that you... Uh, so in addition to your movements and attacks and other things, you have the ability to pray. And prayer is how you cast down darkness. Darkness are, these are cards that are placed on the board that do awful things. You know, they, you, you have things like sexual immorality and marital unfaithfulness and suicidal thoughts and, you know, all sorts of different thematic things, you know, thematically named things that kind of cripple you or hurt you in some way. And you have to cast down darkness by praying. So um, use prey actions. You, can, you roll some dice. If you're successful, you cast down that, that darkness card. And instead, you can choose to revive someone. You can, you can bring somebody back. And so it's a, it's a, very, a very fun system, you know, the way that, the way that it works. It, it's like it, you almost don't even need to read the rules. It's just how it, it feels like how it should be. So players are really able to connect. Like my mom played the game for the first time, and she's the only game that she's ever played is Wordle, you know? And, uh, <laughs> And it took her like 20 minutes of me explaining. And she was like, okay, get out of my way. I know what I'm doing now. And it was, it was hilarious and impressive to see, you know, just for non-gamers to play this. It's, it's as long as you have somebody to teach you, then it's very sensible. So cool. When, when will the game be released? Uh, we're going to release the game. Uh, well, we're working on that right now. So uh, right now in China, which is where the game is being manufactured, it's Chinese New Year, and right after Chinese New Year, mid mid February, we're gonna hit the the big red button, the big red manufacture button. So we're gonna manufacture five thousand units. We have about thirty two hundred of those units are already spoken for, so we have maybe eighteen hundred left, wow. and we're gonna ship them across the ocean and begin our sales. I would say early summer, June is when I expect the game to be in players' hands. So okay. in theory, it could be as early as May or April if they live in, you know, Asia somewhere, <laughs> which we have players. We have, we have, I want to say probably 25 countries that people have bought the game from. And so it's a logistics nightmare for me to ship all this. So, wow. Well, game on. That's, uh... yeah. I was curious. Okay. Did you grow up gaming, like playing games with your family? And yes. what, what led you to love this? So I, um, I have a kind of a storied history with games. You know, when I was three years old, I remember watching my dad play Legend of Zelda on, on the regular Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was kind of, I kind of grew up around games. Uh, my dad's a civil engineer and uh, now he's, he's retired, but he would, he would sit on a computer all day. And eventually he decided that he didn't want to sit on a computer all night, you know, and, and it just became something that was not not fun to him to, to, you know, if he has to be on technology all day, he wants to kind of take a break at night, but I kind of took up the mantle and, and we, you know, I, I remember playing role-playing games on the super Nintendo and all sorts of stuff, but eventually I was 
13 or 14 years old and Pokemon, the trading card game came out and they started playing that. And I actually did local tournaments and other things. And I played Magic the Gathering, which is a big card game for about eight years. I was played competitively and I got back into, you know, I was into video games as well at the same time. And I actually became a professional gamer for a game called Hearthstone. I say professional. I made about 400 bucks a, mm-hmm. a week, uh, which was not bad. Uh, this is before Twitch TV and gamers making lots of money and whatnot. But um, people would pay me to teach them how to how to win. And I would write articles and that kind of thing. And then I, I got really, really good at World of Warcraft, which my mom was not a huge fan of because that meant I was single. So, you know, I got extremely good at World of Warcraft and I put over a 10 year period, I, I graduated college, I wrestled, I played World of Warcraft. Um, I put 985 days played. If you count all the hours that I put together, it's about 985 days stacked together, almost three straight years in a 10 year period. Wow. Um, and somehow I, I, I managed to sleep and graduate and <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Barely. So in 2015, I quit video games cold turkey. I in uh, I was actually I know the date it was October first two thousand fifteen. I decided to fast or abstain, you know, as some might say, from video games, and that was a thing that every time I wanted to play games, what I what I needed to do is I needed to pray. Like the times that I would play games, I need to devote to God. That's what I wanted to do, and it was like a forty day fast. And at, by the end of that fast, I felt that God was calling me to permanently set video games down, and. I was willing, I gave it to him. I was willing to do that. And then, you know, it was, it was very difficult. It was like giving up heroin. Well, it's, I mean, the, the dopamine that you get from playing a game makes the world seem slow. And when the world is slow, it's just, it's boring. So um, I had, I had to find a way to kind of come down from this dopamine you know, mm-hmm. which uh, number one, I, I, I am a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So that was one, that was the only thing that would kind of, that the, the, was the outlet, but I couldn't do that because I had two kids. I couldn't do that every day. You know, I have my family, my business and that kind of thing. And I started, I found a way around this to give me that dopamine high that I needed to allow me to kind of come down from video games. I started reading books out loud with my wife. We, I was audible. I was audible. I would read out <laughs> wow. loud. My wife would read. I was asleep after like one page. It was wonderful. And she always made me read. But I eventually rediscovered board games because I mean, I always you know, knew about card games and that kind of thing. And I knew I didn't want to fall into that rabbit hole again. That's like the, the best card to use in Magic the Gathering is an American Express card you know, tongue in cheek joke. It's, ex- it's very expensive <laughs> to play that game. And, you know, there were other games like that, but I, I discovered Catan and I discovered pandemic and I discovered games like that. You know, I have parks on, on my shelf over here too. And really, really fun games that I could take out play. And then I would be transported into this other fantasy world and get that nerdy fantasy fix that I, that I so desperately wanted. Or maybe it's the zombie apocalypse fix, or it's the, you know, post-apocalyptic Mad Max fix, or whatever. But then I could I could pack it up in the box and put it away and be an adult again. You know, put my kids to bed or whatever. It it became a very healthy way to kind of express that that interest. 
And being the hardcore professional gamer that I was, I, I actually saw a major need for, you know, there was just no, there was no Christian game out there that, that Christians could actually be proud of. They were not innovative. They were not very fun. They were all about getting saved or, you know, it's like, oh, you collected eight sins. Too bad. Move back five spaces. It's like, I do not want to play this stupid game. Um, you know, and uh, it's like your grandma would make you play that as punishment, you know. My gosh. But yeah, so how about like an epic game where it really felt like I could just dive in, you know, I my problem actually became that they're the really some of the really awesome fantasy games require you to compromise in you know in your faith uh magic is evil right i mean you know don't cast spells in real life like that's bad like bible's pretty clear about that should not do that um but you know you've got marvel movies and other things like that that kind of express these you know there are these superheroes that are having a kind of a power fantasy and they're good guys let you know i mean gandalf is a good guy that uses magic in Lord of the Rings. And he's different from Harry Potter in some way. You know, it's it's extremely hard for, for some people to explain why Gandalf is different than Harry Potter and why, you know, some people believe Harry Potter is fine. Others, like myself, I, I read all the books, I watched all the movies, and I decided I'm not going to bring that into my house because of what it glorifies. You know, Harry Potter glorifies magic for magic's sake. Gandalf uses magic as a necessity to defeat evil and there's a there's a difference there so a lot of the time when i would play fantasy board games there you know you use magic you um you know you 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 deal with occultic things a, a lot you know this in fact back in the 80s and uh was the satanic panic with dungeons and dragons because it was uh you could dive into the occult very easily there are a lot of occultic things in dungeons and dragons even though it in and of itself is not actually horrible. Um, it's all the players around the table and what they do. But that is something that I just wish I could play this awesome epic fantasy experience that was legitimately the best game in its class that was also unapologetically Christian, where I didn't have to compromise on the quality of the game and it didn't have to compromise on the quality of my faith, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted that epic power fantasy without without compromise and nothing existed like that. And so I just, I, I actually yelled at God. I shook my fist up at heaven and was like, God, if you, I challenged him. I'm like, God, if you are this epic being that has the power to think infinite thoughts, to know all things, I mean, you can make a game like this. Like you can do this. I know you can. And why isn't it made? You know, why, why isn't there a game like that? You know, you're this almighty God and all of these products are secular and that's what I have in order to experience this, but why can't you make a game like that? And I, little did I understand at the time that I was saying, here am I, send it me. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's what happened. But I really feel that it's, it's so strange with deliverance. I feel like I, I guess I made it. I did all of the, I did all of the writing. I hired an artist and so on and so forth. But I just marvel at the at the game itself is something that almost like I can say I made it like Moses made the tabernacle. You know, <laughs> he got all the pieces. Moses had the added benefit of actually consulting straight with God one on one 
in private meetings where, you know, Jesus was, it was probably Christophany was able to explain the plans to him, you know, like, Oh no, you need to do this that way. But um, I felt that the game deliverance was actually made in heaven and just given to me piecemeal piece by piece on earth. And it, it is my wife's absolute favorite game. We have, I mean, it's, it's just such a high quality game. It's incredible. Uh, you're not the first individual to yell at God. I've yelled at God. And uh, my experience has been when I yell at God, he whispers back. What do you hope playing deliverance, those who play it, what do you hope they will experience and take away into their lives after playing the game? Um, so what I hope people take away from deliverance number one its primary mission is to be fun in a box its secondary mission is to be a tool for what whatever it's whatever purpose an evangelist can use it to evangelize a minister can use it to ministry uh or for ministry and it 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 in and of itself is it gives a christian the ability to direct the conversation. I have had some of the most interesting conversations with, with non-Christians just by taking the game out. They're talking about their tinfoil hat theory on this angel that they met one time or this experience they had where a demon was harassing them in, in one way or another. And they're, they're non-Christians and they're like, these are conversations that organically happen. And I've had conversations with people that are gay that's where the sexual morality card comes out and they wonder if the game is judging them. And by the way, the game very explicitly avoids judging people in, in a, a more like calling alternative lifestyles that are not of non-Christians out as sin. It, it doesn't try to do that, but you know, Bible is very clear. Sexual morality is, is, is wrong. Um, I've had, I, I mean, I've heard like deep conversations about how this, you know, this one guy, was rejected by his family after he came out and all of this other stuff. And he, like, I just met him and I'm having this conversation, this very deep, meaningful conversation with him. And um, I'm just kind of able to love on him. Like as a Christian, I just have this, these interesting opportunities as a result of just showing this and playing this with, with people. And I find that Christians, especially uh, in my generation, the millennial generation and, and, you know, Gen Z and below, we don't really have a way to direct the conversation in, and, and churches are not really, it's, it's very difficult to equip someone that has something to lose. For example, that has their, their, their friend circles, their, their, their lifestyle and the, you know, the things that they love to do. They, they're, they're working with and playing with and whatever with non-Christian people, the way that we're often taught to evangelize is to bring it up, you know, Hey, let's get coffee and let's talk about, let's talk about Jesus. And that is something that is really difficult to do. But with this as a tool, it gives us something that we can actually use to direct the conversation without even trying to, you know, it's like, Hey, let's, you want to play this game? Would you like to slay demons by the righteous power of God? (laughs) Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, well, you've hit on something. I mean, I follow film. I don't, I just keep up with what's coming out. When I say I follow film, I don't watch a lot of the films, the new films coming out, but that market 
of uh, the supernatural and demonic is almost every week playing at the multiplex. And so you have hit something that our culture is interested in, and you're bringing something different, if I might say it, pun intended, to the table. Uh, so uh, I'm excited about what's coming. And for those who are interested in checking out the game, it'll be in the show notes, but it's uh, deliverancethegame.com. Is that correct? Yes. Or you can go to playdeliverance.com. That okay. uh, Both of them will work. Deliverancethegame.com or playdeliverance.com. And you can pre-order the game right now. Um, you're actually going to get the best price. Uh, we, we actually just bumped up our price a little bit because of the economy and all that. But the deluxe game, which is the super duper fancy version of the game, you can get metal coins, you can get a big gigantic neoprene play mat, which is kind of like a super fancy mouse pad, huge neoprene play mat. It's like, you know, two and a half feet by four feet in, in size. And as well as the big deluxe edition of the game right now. So I would love to, I be, you know, spiritual warfare is real. Do you want to somehow go to China and get on that ship that's bringing those games over? <laughs> I would just love to see what kind of voyage that ship is about to have. Um, oh my goodness. It's like, please don't go through Bermuda. Like we just, we just don't need that extra. Yeah. But I have a, you know, one, I'll say that the spiritual war has been on my doorstep ever since I started. And uh, that's, that's, it's probably its own conversation, but yeah. It has been very, very hard to make this because of the how how we've been accosted spiritually, and my team as well. You know, yeah. it's it's just wild when when we stood up to to make this. I know now why Christian things aren't often made, and good Christian things are made much much less often. Um, it's really it's so hard. Satan only goes after moving targets. So yeah. That's, that's uh, a, in a way that's an encouragement to me is that it's it's doing something yeah. you know it matters to him yeah. Steph thank you for bringing Andrew to the table yeah Andrew thank you for coming I just I love hearing just more of your heart for Jesus and you're you're yearning to know him and explaining all this to us I just thought it was so lovely and I just thank you for coming and sharing it was an honor for y'all to invite me and it's just it's been a real pleasure thank you for having thank me on you. when my emotions turn against me not faith nor reason could convince me that you have patience left to fight for me is affecting every ounce of me I can get the medication and the counseling still I can hear the fear calling out to me and I don't feel brave but I don't have to be cause I walk through the valley of shadows and it scared me half to death but you're with me everywhere I go so I don't give up yet my fear would surely kill me if I didn't know the truth the things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you You prepare a table for me Right in front of my worst enemies You're as calm and relaxed as can be There's no place where the Demons won't find me, but just wait till they see who's standing behind me. I 